Welcome to Uncommonly Good. I'm Alan Ladd, joined as always by the Mike Reed. This is our fourth episode of our second season, and uh, our focus really for today is going to be the power of words, and that's going to be our focus really this whole episode, even before we have our guest speaker on, which our guest speaker is the Joe Belinsky, and I'm going to let Coach Reed talk about him because they have a, a very good connection. Well, he's he's the youngest person inducted into the Music Hall of Fame. He is known uh, as the mayor of, of radio, and he was on 95.9 The Ranch for the longest time, and since then he's uh, transferred over to the, to the Hank. And and you guys should really uh, pick that up, the people that that are there. He does a show on Sunday nights. It's... Is it 7 to 10? Yes. So it's he does it Sunday nights, 7 to 10, and it's Joe Belinsky's Country Cafe. Yes. And um, and he he talks that he has all kinds of different things on. I mean, I've only I've only listened to the show, I believe, twice, so I would probably be doing him a disservice trying to describe it, but it's just a very, um, it's kind of a very homey, open feel to it of being able to sit in and almost like you're interacting with him, which interacting with Joe is a lot of fun. Yeah, he... I mean, he's been doing this for now thirty years. He he was an English teacher uh, in in Gordon, Texas. Your English teacher, and, and <laughs> uh, lived in Mingus. And and the, one of the most remarkable things about this guy, and anybody that knows where Mingus is, is one of the capital of where country music people started out. Joe Belinsky has never touched a drop of alcohol ever in his life, and and is one of the most uh, humble. But yet could sell not just an igloo to an Eskimo, but before you leave, he would probably sell you a, a city of es- of igloos to those Eskimos. He is one of the most remarkable people. Just laugh, just even almost thinking about the stories that he could tell. And and we're going to talk about the power of words. So the power of words for him, and in his voice, and just the impact that a radio a personality like himself can do you think about he dictates the mood of everything for that day he can dictate through music and send messages out into out into the radio waves of where things are going now obviously people that listen to podcasts and like this that are able to go there at the at the you know their fingertips and go get whatever message they want you know the radio is something that's just so live and so personal at that time and Joe Belinsky has been that guy to really be able to connect and to resonate with his audience for such a, a long time and then do it on such a level of professionalism and excellence that he is in the Hall of Fame. And so to be able to kind of share some of those those things with him and, and when we start talking about words and, and the powerful meaning of words, you know, words are the single most powerful force that's available to humanity. I mean, we can choose to uh, look at that and, and use it as constructive. We can use it as encouragement. We can use it destructively. We can use words of despair. We can have uh, choose words that are energy, that, that have so much power behind them. Uh, you know, with our words and the power of a word, we can help, we can hinder, uh, we can hurt, we can harm, we can humiliate people, uh, we can humble people. You know, I, I, we've said this a ton, and, and even when we talked about that, I mean, uh, we always say, you know, people before they get married, they really should, they really should have a good fight with with their, with oh, whoever yeah, they're about to marry. About that the other day. Yeah, to, to who they're going to marry, because words are the most damaging, damaging thing, and the, and the biggest thing you can do. I mean. When you know what words, if you want to cut a woman, you know what words, which we can't say on here without putting, you know, uh, probably three E's explicit beside it. But right. you know what word you can say to get at a woman and cut her down to, you know, t- down to the bone. And then we know that, hey, she can throw a word out at us and it really doesn't do something. But there's those below the belt words that that in communication are just so damaging um, and to then, everybody. And then, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, to go on with what we're talking about right now and what's going on in the world, you know, I have to explain to my kids right now because they have questions over what is a protest and what is a quiet protest and, and what's, uh, why are these people acting out this way and why, you know, what's the meaning of this? And 
Well, my dad was in the Vietnam. He fought in Vietnam. And so, you know, being at... It, in the Vietnam. Sorry. <laughs> being 43 years old, I'm sitting here going, okay, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some protests and I've seen some things that, that have happened in my lifetime. But when I really want to sit back and look at, okay, what are some of the things that uh, my kids might have been able to... Uh, See and remember. Yeah, or to to sit there and and for me to have a conversation with them over. Okay, hey, did you uh Peyton and Stryker were you there for the march on Washington for jobs and freedom when the protest was uh, about Black Americans that happened in August of twenty eighth nineteen sixty three when Martin Luther King gave his famous speech. I have a dream. Uh. Um, uh, uh, no. So I can't even have that resignation when over 250,000 people participated in that civil rights march, you know, in Washington, D.C. Well, then I go, okay, well, maybe I can communicate something to Peyton and Stryker and I can say, hey, how about the uh, anti-Vietnam War protest in Washington, D.C. that was on November 15th, 1969? Uh, uh, no. Well, 600,000 people showed up, and I still can't even sit there just to one location. This isn't, you know, where some of the things that we're going through right now, you think about Dallas and Houston and Minneapolis Los, and Los Angeles, Los Angeles and where all these things, and now you take the population of all these things that are happening, and it far exceeds this. So I'm still trying to figure out, well, okay, well, hang on. How about the Solidarity March in Washington, D.C. in September 19, 1981? Well... Thousands of protesters showed up to President Reagan's budget cut and tax policies. Yeah. Well, oh, uh, um, Peyton Stryker, you know what that's about? Uh, no, Dad, I, I, I can't resonate with that. Well, surely in 1982, the anti-march. No, still can't do that. How about the Million Man March, 1995? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, for... Uh, 400 to 1.1 million people showed up to Washington, D.C. in 1995 to do the Million Man, to unite the black community. Uh, they, they still can't resonate with that. Or the March on Washington for the lesbian, gay, and by equal rights. N no. So as we're going through this, you know, we've got the Million Woman March in 1997. Uh, we sit there and have the Iraq War in 2003. Well, some of these the kids one. are... Now we're starting to get into to conversations of the people that you and I teach, now we're starting to get into conversations over, okay, let's start trying to communicate you over what protests are, peaceful protests, having a voice, speaking up, and how to do that. Well, you're still sitting there in 2003, 2004, and the only next one from there, the next uh, protest from there, was about a climate change march in 2014. Now, What's the chances of a climate change march getting to be rioting and looting and and having such a passion behind it? Not very much. Not very much. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know, hey, we better fix this, or the or, or you know, or the oceans, uh, Antarctica is going to melt and flood us all away. I mean, that's that's the intensity of that of that conversation. And so, uh, the next one was the March for Science in two thousand and seventeen. Well, listen, I, I don't know uh, many scientists that are out there marching for science that are so passionate that people are looting businesses and Walmarts and Targets and houses and things like that. So I can have these conversations with them, but it's still not to the intensity. It's things that they haven't seen from the mid to late 60s through civil rights and then the, uh, the Rodney King protests and riots in L.A., I mean, and... Really, for them, and I don't know, 2013 was the Trayvon Martin mm -hmm. protest and uh, and everything, and that there were some there were riots and things going on there. But I mean, and then with uh, Ferguson as well in Missouri, that those are probably the only two. But also too for for a lot of kids though, you're talking about that those are things that they don't see because of age. Yeah, a lot of kids now are suddenly going are sitting there going, I can't believe this is going on like it's never happened before right. because when you're that age, I was the same way of just thinking, what? what? What's going on? Just because I, I was in college for the during Trayvon Martin and everything. And so I can remember that, but at least me being through history, I knew that it had happened before. It was just my first time of seeing these things play out in my life Absolutely. that way. And, I'm, and I know they'd happened 
before. It's just, you know, in the 90s, I was I was born in 92, so I wasn't yeah. old enough to remember all those things. And well, so, these things are just what we're talking about in protesting things in our United States. Think about globally and across the world, uh, from the Berlin Wall to Gandhi, uh, to, you know, some of these... Yeah, we think that all of a sudden we have one or two events where we have protests and civil unrest. We really don't know in that area how lucky we have been to have by and large even though things are not always fair equal and done you look at some countries like india that are been just rampant poverty um and inequality and other things there that happen that nobody cares about absolutely we're here that you're able to get a voice at least and and hopefully to bring about real change okay. and at least to not so then for you have such unrest as far as a civil war and overthrow of government and everything going on as well. There's some countries that that happens every three, four years. Oh, absolutely. So for you, when we talk about the power of words, who for you has has stood out for you in, in your history of time for the power of words off, off maybe making change or something like that? Um. So and thinking about that, one of the deals I did, I Googled this up and it's off of the website of The Art of Manliness and it has the top 35 uh, greatest speeches in history um, that they've done that. But then another thing I found too, if y'all go, if you'll go to The Undefeated, you can look up different lists of influential people. But I'm going to go off the 35 greatest speeches, the one I ended up picking just because I think it relates so much to us now is uh, Theodore Roosevelt's Duties of American Citizenships. And I'm not going to read it off word for word. If you want to look it up, you can look it up. But he talks about our duties of being involved in government to ensure good government is being is going on, but that it has to be a person who is not only involved in government, but involved in their home life with their spouses, their kids, their friends, their family. Because if you can't have open and honest conversations with them, how can you have an open and honest conversation with somebody you don't know? Right. And that you can't sit there and fall into the the deals of, well, I don't have the time or it's not important. These things are important and that we need to be more involved, everybody in a population at the local, state, and federal levels of our government to bring about change and to change things for the better, not only for other people, but for their kids, our kids, and people moving forward and so he's one that I like on there another one that I do like um it Martin Luther King it's hard to beat Dr. King on there mm -hmm. um another good one is Malcolm X because I actually I read his autobiography when I was in high school and then another one who probably doesn't get talked about very much anymore but he gets talked about a lot in American history is Frederick Douglass uh for, was was a slave bought his own freedom became an engineer um and was a amazing public speaker he public speaker he was part of the underground railroad just amazing man yeah so uh those are just to name a few but yeah the power of words and that those all of those people could would be able to take an idea and expand out on it and be able to then go and explain it to anybody right anybody from a factory worker to a harvard professor or whoever you think is one of the smartest people in the world. I mean, they could explain it to anybody and not only explain it to anybody, but to get them to see their perspective on an issue to then gather support to bring about change. And I think that's a very impressive thing. If you're going to be a speaker, you have to get people to see, maybe to eventually see your perspective. It may not be that day that you talk to them, but to see your side and to understand and that's how you bring about change, by having open and honest conversations, kind of like what we saw just recently play out with Drew Brees, where mm -hmm. um, Tony Dungy was talking with uh, Pat McAfee on his podcast, talking about, uh, you know, whether you agree with, with what Drew Brees said at first or not, he should he is allowed to say that, but then we're allowed to respond and have an open and honest conversation, just like all of his teammates did, and now you've changed somebody's perspective. Yes. And that's and and it's a really good talk. Tony Dungy's a great one actually to to listen to speak. He's a great speaker, but just the, you we have to be we can't be afraid to have open and honest conversations. Well, let's look at that. Let's look at that people. from our perspective. Okay, we're both 
we're both teachers. So let's say, for example, um, in your history class, this this topic comes up. You have LeBron James's son in your class, and you have Drew Brees's son in your class. And when you stand up there in front of the class, and and you're talking about this, and both their kids, let's say both their kids. Uh, because things are not being discussed at home, which we know in our profession, most of the things that kids learn or go or, or start viewing opinions on is because the information that is provided to them in usually in a school uh, starts shaping their minds and where they're at because those ki- parents don't a lot of times get involved with their kids enough right. to be able to have these conversations. Right, and you see that with people as they grow. We did a study on that in college and went through that of how your political views and everything change as you go from high school, college, to your career, to retirement. And it's generally because of it's the people you're around. As you change, those people change, and you either and you generally adapt a new perspective. Right. So let's look at it from this. You stand up in front of the class, and you take either side. And, and it's not either side. It's Drew Brees had, had his opinion of kneeling and, and trying of to speak. Of saying that it this was a disrespect towards the American flag, national anthem, and the armed services. Right. Right. Where where LeBron James says, listen, it had nothing, it has to, nothing, it, to, nothing do with to do that. with that. That's just the time that he chooses to do it. To do it, to get it. Because a, this country has this issue. So I'm going to kneel because our country has this issue during this time. But has no disrespect to that. Now, with that being said, we 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 get both 100%. We, we agree with what Drew Brees was saying in the sense of it is for those people because my Some dad being in the yeah way. my dad being in the military is an older person who is disconnected from some of the some of the hardships and things that are coming up would definitely take offense to where, to this where the other not, side of it though is of this they feeling like this is the best time to do it of because they are going to get attention to draw attention to this issue and this cause to then try to gather promote support change. and promote change. Absolutely. So both sides, you right. know, both sides to us, we, we see Everybody it. Everybody gets we respect to exercise it. We their un- First Amendment rights. We, we understand that. Um, however, because Drew spoke out, Le- uh, his team, you know, his teammates and LeBron James wound up really kind of attacking, uh, attacking him for his insensitivity, which then made Drew change his perspective and uh, publicly apologize. So, if you're a teacher in class hired by the state of Texas and you stand up there and you do not stay in the middle of the road off your conversation, are you unemployed? You can be. If LeBron and, and James's I, son is in there and Drew Brees' son is in there and you you well, for me what you promote one side you, you, you go seventy thirty one way, seventy thirty the other way, and you stand up there and, and, and present your feelings. You, you definitely can Are you because all it takes is for Yeah, you it can it is something that it is very probable that it can be happened of and you may not be unemployed, but you may be disciplined. You yes. may be written up or you may be placed on administrative leave and then brought back suspend you know however you want to put it which is a reason for me why um when we get into our political side of things going through government u.s history uh all of that the only the way that i really try to combat that instead and do what i think is the right thing to do is i do my best to present both sides of the argument but that's to what we have to do. Advocate. So, so my question is, okay. So my question is, because you're right, you gotta be. We know what we have to do. We know as teachers in 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 well, especially think, in your classroom. But you're right though. Yes, if knowing because you know too, I've got I have school board members, kids in our mm-hmm. classroom. Um, and yes, if I went in there and used that time to, well, and because a bunch of them are firemen, not so to go in there and to for some crazy for some reason to protest maybe the fire department and say why there's things wrong within the fire department, yeah, I'm going to be getting some phone calls. Okay. And, so, that, and that is things that do happen. So these pro athletes, let's look at let's look at the, which is different than artists. So we're talking pro athletes right now because we're talking different than an artist who's an in, individual. These people are employed by the NFL, the NBA, the major league, hockey, soccer, when you are being paid and you are sitting there going, okay, 
I, I'm gonna give my view and I'm gonna go I'm gonna go a direction on something and I'm gonna use that I'm gonna use the state of Texas to let me speak to kids and and push a message a way I want to um, and I'm unemployed how come the you know how come major league sports I mean they they're doing that we know that they did it with Kaepernick he yes. he did speak up and they did blackball him I mean that's known Tim Tebow who I mean pushed uh pushed uh, Christianity Christianity pushed to, the, to the highest where, level to where people knew that every time they asked him a question that that's what it was going to be about and they didn't want to hear that message either now we understand those two are not on the same level we're yeah. just saying when you look at it NFL wise the when only they push two their people that we have seen that have pushed a platform and be punished for it. You have Kaepernick and Tebow who they said, know what, we don't care, do not sign these guys. They bring about things that our audience doesn't want to hear. They just want football. And that's all they want. Where when you look at, and the thing that, and when you look at I will say, we had this talk the other day, the NFL is a lot further behind on individuality and letting their players promote themselves and to be more of a an icon and an image, the NFL really only lets one position do that. Yeah. It's really just the quarterback. Right. Now and everybody else it's, you know, shut up and get out of the way. Right. We're in the NBA, MLB, uh soccer, hockey, um tennis, golf, those guys, they get to be individuals. They get to do some different things and be represented, promoted, and shown that way where in the NFL that doesn't really happen. Right. So I think that's the other side of it you see as well. Yeah. Well, you know, and and having our audience, you know, listening to this and knowing who we have on with Joe Belinsky and where we're going, you know, there's there's been so many different things over history and, and especially for him sitting there uh, talking to different musicians who can send different messages and have and and have some messages. There's really been some great messages through music that has really sh- uh, shaped some protests, who have shaped um, some political views, and and have gone different ways. You know, uh, Pop, uh, Pete Seeger uh, in 1948 wrote the song. Uh, we shall overcome. It's one of the oldest and most important political songs of all time, uh, because the organization was, which was founded by him and was created to distribute distribute songs encouraging political and social change. So just here's a song that's just encouraging people to push and pursue and pursue uh, some those political changes. The Beatles in 1968 wrote the song "The Revolution." which was a uh, protest in the Vietnam War. Queen uh wrote the song I Want to Break Free in 1984. Uh this song's, you know, been used as an anthem against oppression and will continue to be, you know, for for many many years. Uh you got Kendrick Lamar in 2015, he wrote the song All Right, uh which was a Black Lives Matter movement song. Mm-hmm. You got a uh, Cros- uh Crosby still and Nash and Young uh, in 1970, they wrote the song "Ohio," which was the Ten Soldiers and Nixon coming in during that time. You know, you had NWA in 1988. Yeah. Uh, write the song F "FTP." The, yeah, FTP. Uh, you know, F the police, uh, which was then just really taking the direct shot over what they're talking about, uh, what we're dealing, you know, dealing with now, and then. Uh, John Lennon in 1971, uh, Imagine, uh, which became one of his greatest songs ever written. Bruce Springsteen wrote in 1984, Born in the USA, uh, which, you know, for then was, which was countless, you know, politicians and, and being misunderstood and things like that, including Ronald Reagan, you know, that, you know, Bruce Springsteen was responsible for rebelling against uh, some of the things that they stood for. Um, Bob Marley, uh, Get Up, Stand Up in 1973. These are some songs that our audience people, I think, would be great for them to kind of look up and talk at and and educate themselves. Jimi Jimi Hendrix is a good one. Yeah. Um, And then, you, you know, Bob Dylan... Uh, the times they are changing, yeah. and that was written in 1964. And how relevant that is 
to 2020. So as a history teacher, and you knowing this, I mean, for us to stand up in front of LeBron James's son, Drew Brees' son, we have to present them with... Sounds like I'd rather be the PE teacher there. I'm just going to be honest, but... <laughs> we have to present them with that with that information so that they can make their own own views. Yes, and that's the um, thing that where I think that's the thing that people have gotten away from. They don't... In politics in general, I'm not talking about this issue. I mean, but like I said, you've got to be able to look at it from both sides to at least have a conversation with someone to change their perspective. Because if you can't ever get in the same room with somebody who thinks differently than you, then you're never going to, you may never be able to bring about the changes that need to happen in the world and in our country. And that, I, and that's a scary thought because there are things that do need to change. Well, things need to change. And I, I want, I want our people listening to this. I want you, if you got your phone out handy, I want you to look up the Coca-Cola song, um, you know, by Hilltop. It was written in 1971 and it's, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. And this song by Coca-Cola is really going to come back again. You guys are going to start seeing it and hearing it. But I think it really resonates to the direction that we are heading. Uh, I do feel like the peaceful protests and the things that are happening are going to promote some, some change and some hard conversations. Um, I'm, I, you know, I embrace those hard conversations. I, you know, embrace those things that are being, that are being brought on. Um, you know, uh, going back to words, and 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 I want to bring this around in a in a sports sense right here. Uh, my head football coach Nelson Campbell, I'll never forget. Man had a had a hard long practice, and when I had that long hard practice, I was very very proud of myself. Thought I did really good, and so I walk over the walk over to him and I'm like, hey coach, you know how things go? And he goes, oh yeah, I thought you did good today. And I was like, man, thank you, and I'm really excited and kind of put his arm around me and you know Nelson he's not an affectionate guy so he kind of put his arm around me and he said Mike you have a lot of potential oh I was excited I mean I was so excited my heart was just beaming so he saw that it brought a little bit of joy in into my heart and he says whoa whoa, Mike you know what he couldn't leave it there though could he oh no (laughs) you know what potential is don't you I said yeah, I mean like I'm going to like I'm going to be good. Yeah, yeah, Mike. It's unused energy. Oh. You hot dang. You you you're still not giving me everything you got and you can do better. So, that's the power of words. And that conversation and that day of just walking off that field was like, you know what? I will finish first every time we run our sprints. You know, I will I will play every down hard on offense and on defense and it they were just some very powerful words to me so um a friend of mine Stephen pace who we've talked about before and some other things yeah he, he sent me this um today called uh psychological tuning and uh said number one hard training you need to make sure that your training is so hard and varied that it removes complacency and creates muscle memory, instinctive reflexes, and within a mind discipline to identify and react to the unexpected. Number two, develop trust. Know that you're brothers and develop trust and confidence in one another. Number three, rehearse. The next training step is rehearsal as they focus intensity on the skills that would constitute their rapport in battle. In order to do that, in order to really get that, you know, the you've got your hard training, you've got your development of trust, you've got you've got your reversal or your rehearsal, and having that daily target every single day. And then by doing so, I we talk about the power of words. How can you use power of words in in your practices, in your business, in your classroom? You have to create a vocabulary for individual team success in business and sports. And I want you to think about maybe in your classroom. You know, uh, what what do elementary teachers do sometimes in in the classroom when they want kids to be quiet? What do they do? Uh, They do the... um... 
the uh, they either they clap yeah and then the kids have to do what I have to clap back so they're creating a language in their class to get the kids to know when to attend pay attention and not and let's look at some sports stuff that 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 they have to do to to bring this language the power the power of words you know uh for you you're at, you're in the out there in the basketball court and you go take that shot and I yell out, hey, that's money in the bank. Cash. Um, hey, let's bring it. Let's own it. Um, hey, accept the challenge. Those are some positive words that are within our language that we have to communicate and use with repetition so that when we get our hard training, when we develop that trust, they know that that communication is there. Um, you know, how many times have you sat there, and let's think about this, the batter gets in the batter's box, okay? okay. And and what's the coach yell from the sideline? Hey, just relax. Yeah. Well, what's that mean? Hang on, what's relax mean? What does just relax mean? Oh, hey, you're overthinking it. Oh, shoot, uh, am I, am I, uh, do I need to, do I really need to relax and, and not, and not be focused? Like, because when you relax, maybe the kid thinks, well, I don't need to focus as much. Uh, you know, what does just relax mean? So the power of word, how important is just that misuse of that word? Hey, just relax could be viewed in so many different ways. Uh, they, yeah, there has to be, you have your own meaning and understanding behind it just from your day-to-day -day interactions with them and your work with them at practice. Yeah. So, you know, so like for our kids, they hear the word demerit and what do they immediately hear? Think. Punishment. Punishment. So there, or I messed up. Yeah. So there is, uh, uh, hey, you got a PPE, right? Yeah. And so they know, oh, crud. PPE yeah. means piss, poor, effort. Yeah. I didn't try very hard. Okay. No. Uh, when the, when uh, practice is going a little slow, I used to say, hey, pop, P-O-P, pop, P-O-P. Well, they knew, hey, pace of practice is not very good. But it was a defined, definitive power of a word what does that word mean yeah. in and do you have that in your business when you get in there to your employees and you're having a staff meeting and you communicate some key words are those key words hung up in the in the store are they hung up in the locker room how much do you sell your language we just heard Tim Buchanan on our last thing who just sat there and he said we have uh this is our practice and then he goes but everything within our practice, yeah, everybody kind of does their practice this way now. So then I asked him, I said, then what separates you then? And he said, staff meeting. Staff meeting. With the offense and the defense. And everybody's together and everybody knows what everything means. Every lingo, offensively and defensively, are the same. You may be on the defensive side. But which, and it, that probably is something that doesn't sound like much to people, but when you think about it, because... Because I've been from, I started out, and I was the bottom dude on the totem pole. And um, so anyways, and I run the scout offense and scout defense. And the more and more that I learned about our systems on both sides, and I would be, figure out, okay, this team does this like we do, and they do this like we do. So this will speed up our boys knowing it, because I can speak our language to right. them to get them to learn something to make us better in practice. Right. And then you can sit there and do the same thing as a coach. It makes everything so much easier and it, and it increases their understanding of what's going on. And that is a big deal because people don't, they don't understand that. Half the time they just go, you know, where they'll go, I right, just do this. Yeah. Just do this. Don't ask me a question, just do this. Yeah. And they don't have any understanding of what to do and then they don't grow any. Well, you know this, we just got a puppy. And oh, yeah. so we're trying to train our puppy and uh, and I have to be I have to make sure Peyton Stryker Michelle and I all say the exact same word when we want that puppy to do something. I can't say, uh, "Hey, come here," and you know Stryker says, uh, "Let's go," and say a different type of word. So the communication part in in your practices and finding the power of the word that is going to resonate a, the response that you want is really what we're driving home today. And I think with Joe Belinsky being on here and excited about to have uh have him and listen to some funny stories he's that that he can tell and and make us laugh and 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 let him send out his message of the words. And for those of you uh get on your 
uh, Facebook and, and look us up and make sure you're on, on Facebook. Yeah, like the page. Yeah, like the page and get on there. Make sure we're on Twitter and, and, and Instagram and, and just do the things that you can get on Apple, Spotify, and make sure you can get on there and subscribe and like these things so that you can stay up with some of these messages that these people have to send. Alright, this is Uncommonly Good. Me, AJ Ladd, Mike Reed, and we're on with the mayor of country music, Mr. Joe Belinsky, on our show today. Well, and I'm appreciative of this. I, I'm, I'm so thankful that the governor wound up letting us come and hang out because try to explain the view of what we're looking at right now. I mean, there, go ahead and try. I, yeah, we're on the uh, 21st floor at the tower in Fort Worth, and we get to uh, overlook Sundance Square. It's just out the window down there from us, and it is has to be one of the most beautiful views I've ever seen from a building my entire life. Well, and who lives right below us? The Bass Brothers. The Bass Brothers live right below us. So we are with the mayor of country music, Joe Belinsky, which we are beyond excited to have on here. Uh, like I said earlier on here, Joe Belinsky was my English teacher in high school Yes. from the little town of Mingus, America. So Joe, thanks for being on here with us. Tell somebody how somebody from Mingus, America gets to the 21st floor of the towers overlooking Sundance Square with neighbors of the Bass Brothers. It wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go through teaching you to get here. Yes, yes. <laughs> that alone should give me something. Yes. But an I'm early glad... retirement. It did, yeah, give you, yeah, it yeah. did give you an early retirement. <laughs> it did. It did. But I'm glad y'all are here. It's, it's good to see both of you. And I've been through a lot. I've lived three lifetimes in my life seriously yeah. my parents were very lenient with me at an early age and I was playing in the honky tonks when I was 14 years old well the fact that most people survive and live out of Mingus Texas to to just get <laughs> out of it alive let alone I mean you lived I mean literally a hundred yards from you know the trio right? yes yes I saw many things <laughs> Some I can talk about and there's yeah. some I can't talk about. Um, so tell us a little bit, just you know, your and you can talk about your three lifetimes, but just tell just tell the people that are listening out there that don't that, that don't necessarily know you and the ones that obviously a, a big majority probably will, um, tell them, you know, how you got to where you're at and what it took. I started playing the nightclubs, as I said, when I was fourteen. Um, I was a big fan of music and bands, and I used to stand in the bandstand at my dad's club, the Trio Club, there in Mingus. I used to stand on the stage as early as age six and watch the people dance and watch the musicians, and I always wanted to be part of that. And I was supposed to be sweeping and mopping, but instead, when my dad wasn't there, the drum stage set up on the stage. I was turning the jukebox up full blast, and teaching myself to play the drums, unbeknownst to my parents. And one Sunday afternoon, they had the matinee dance, packed house, drummer didn't show up. And the band just can't go without a drummer, so everybody's in pandemonium. Oh, wow, okay. I stepped up, I said, hey, Dad, I play the drums. He said, we don't have time for that, we're trying. I said, no, Dad, I'm serious. Yeah. I've been moonlighting on you, and I've been practicing a lot. I've never played with the band, and the bass player said, well, Frank, we're pretty desperate. We gotta do something, let's try it. I got up there, cold turkey, and played a five hour dance. I still have the recording of it. Wow. That, that was in 1977. Oh, that's the year I was born. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I made very few bobbles and I had the fever from then on. And I was obsessed with music. I went on to practice and play, recorded an album. And it led me to the radio show, which is where I am now. I'm going into my 30th year on the air at 92.1 Hank FM in Fort Worth. And in 2011, was the youngest inductee into the Texas Country Music Hall of Fame, which was a big honor. So in doing that and going through your journey and where you've been at, you definitely have had to have met some really interesting people along the way and some people that were really uh, influential. And then some people that might have been some characters, who would some of those people be? I was lucky enough to meet every one of my country music heroes, literally. Had their phone numbers, knew them, they were on my show. Buck Owens, these aren't easy people to get to either. Right. Buck Owens, Ray Price, Mel Tillis, Farron Young, 
uh, Jimmy Dean, the Sausage King, you know, yeah. Jimmy Dean Sausage. Oh, yeah. I met all those people. Bill Anderson, Whispering Bill Anderson on the Grand Ole right. Opry. Um, Marty Stewart. Oh. Uh, Gene Watson. Um, gosh, I could go on and on. I mean, I, yeah. I had all my heroes' numbers. They were on my show. And uh, it was, I've lived a charmed life. I really have. I can't believe some of the people that I have met. Well, and during that time, you know, of, of doing that, you know, with the people that listen to the show, you know, a lot of them are just trying to gain some motivation and, 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 and self-help themselves. What is something that you've learned to have those relationships to be able to do that? What is some, was that something naturally in your personality or is that something you grew yourself into being able to do? I was always a very outgoing person. I wasn't shy. And even growing up in the bands when the big stars would play at my dad's club, I would go right up to them and start a conversation and ask questions and I learned and learned and learned yeah. and elevated myself. But as I was telling you earlier when we weren't taping, I've had 45 Grand Ole Opry stars on my show. All those interviews are recorded digitally. I'm gonna release a, a, a box set of those interviews one day. But it's hard to even name 45 Grand Ole Opry stars. Oh, absolutely. Well, and for you, go ahead. Well, as, out of all the people you've had on, who do you feel like is the just the most entertaining person or, that you've had on or to be around out of all of those people? I had a lot, but my crown jewel of all my interviews was Porter Wagner. Yeah. Uh, member of the Hall of Fame, I was the last person to interview him. And even though Porter and I never met in person, we had talked on the phone a lot. And when we did the interview, he was such a professional that he made it seem like he knew me all his life. It was Joe this and Joe that. And I was pretty nervous. I'm not nervous very often, but he's a, he is a heavyweight to me. Had his TV show all those years, the godfather of Grand Ole Opry. And uh, we always play a couple of their songs during the, the interview to break up the talking. And I said, uh, Porter, hang on with me here. I'm gonna play one of your songs and be right back. And very personably, he said, Joe, you couldn't run me off here. <laughs> and making little personal statements like that made the audience think like, golly, Joe and him are bosom buddies. How in the world is he, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He was smart enough to know to put that across to the audience to make me look good. Yeah. Wow. And when we closed the interview, he said, Joe, before we stop, I want to say something. You've done so much for me in my career. You've played my records. I know you talk about me a lot because people tell me, and I just sincerely thank you for all you've done for my career. Now, Porter Wagner telling somebody that on the radio for all the thousands to hear, that's a big feather in my cap, and I'll never forget the way that he personalized that interview and made me look. It was just unbelievable. What if uh, what is something right now that people might not know about you? Even some even some of the people that you work with and some some things. What's something that people would they may not know about you till they really get to know Joe? Like I know you. Like you know, seeing you grow up, you know, through your years and you've watched me grow up. What's something that somebody may not really know about Joe? Most people don't know that I'm very 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 into the stock market. Which did shock me when you did tell me this. That that it did shock me. This I trade stock every day. I'm obsessed with it. I love it, and I have for many many years. And people just can't feature me being in it like I am. But I'm very very interested in the stock market. When uh, what's the best stock market advice you were ever given that paid off, and what's one that was given to you that did not pay off? The best advice I can give for stock market dealing is always take your profits because remember hogs get fat and pigs get slaughtered yep and that's what my dad told me and i always <laughs> remember that and another part of advice is he said he's never seen a man go broke taking a profit oh oh yeah that's a good one absolutely um joe i want to play a game with you I'm actually going to let Ashley handle the phone and 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 be able to play be able to play the noise. We're going to play what's called the it's a hot seat part we have up there where we put all our guests on the hot seat and we're going to play a new game has not been played on here uh, before and it's going to it's the sound game. So we're going to play a sound, let the sound play, 
and then you have to guess uh, once she stops the sound you get one guess to guess what it is okay okay first one Wow. Now, don't let the repetitiveness of it get you. So, we can play it just one time. Yeah. That sounds like somebody brushing their teeth. Oh, no. Biting into an apple. Biting an apple. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. But you're getting there. Yep. His teeth, it had to do with teeth. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Oh, so. You're right. All right, next one. That sounds like ringing up something on the cash register. Close, yeah, a printer, a dot matrix printer is okay. actually what it is. Now, when I had, I had, I did have to explain this to uh, Coach Lad what a dot, <laughs> what a dot matrix uh, printer is. But uh, anyways, dot matrix printer. That's close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sewing machine. Oh no, that that was a good guess though. That, that was, was a good, good guess. guess. That is a sixteen millimeter projector. Okay. Oh. I picked all the hard ones. I go one more time. From Mingus, Texas, you should really know this one for sure. Play it once more. Wow. May have had to go to the deer lease for that. I can't even guess that one. Breaking the billiards, the the break of the billiards. Oh, the it didn't stick. sound like enough scattering. There. It, did, it did sound like they missed it, it all. Like, there yeah, was no it sounded like hitting one <laughs> yeah. solid shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, here's your next one. Play that again. Boy, you picked out the hard I ones. Did. I did. I picked some hard ones. I did. I, it's called the hot seat for a reason. I even wow. see that you're sweating right now, Joe. <laughs> Golly. Give me a clue. Um, it's a sport. It is a sport. Played on grass and clay. Play it one more Tennis. time. Tennis. There you go. Yeah, it's two tennis players. That to help me a little. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. That sounds like a phonograph record playing at the front. <laughs> Frying bacon. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's. They sound very similar. They do. Yeah. They absolutely All right, we do. got uh, three more to go. Okay. That's a drill? It is. You're exactly there you right. There you go. You're right. Sanding? Yep. Sanding wood. Right. Wow, I'm on a roll. <laughs> yeah, and la- last one. Taking a shower? Oh no. no. Forest fire. Oh wow, that was yeah. That's yeah. a hundred and eighty degrees. You might shower after you're on fire. Yeah, that's yeah. not even close. Well, hey, you're officially off the hot seat and I Thank you. <laughs> I, I did not want to stay within your wheelhouse of uh, information and, and name out the grand old opry people. Okay. Uh, and uh, country music stuff. That's coming to pay you back, so <laughs> Uh, one thing that you have taken from the education, being in the education field, and and also now being in the business side of things, what are some things that really interlinked, really have held true for you in both in both areas? I think people skills. I think I'm going to say something that's going to be very controversial, but that'll give people something yeah, to talk about. Absolutely. I know that. Computers and cell phones are very useful and very advanced and have helped us in life, 
but I think the advent of computers and cell phones have really taken away from people skills. It's like, I don't wanna talk, I don't wanna communicate, I don't wanna listen to you, let me sit in front of my computer or my cell phone. And it's taken away from interaction skills and like you uh, are a great communicator with even I know all your life you've been able to communicate with older people which a lot of young people can't do right and people skills are so very very important and I just feel like the computers and cell phones have robbed the young people of that yeah well you know a big trend that's that's even going on a little bit and and uh, I actually went went to a school this in Fort Worth this uh this spring and one of the things that they really require their kids uh, to do in order to even get in the varsity locker room is they have to stand up in front of uh, 300 there's 300 people on the football team and yeah. stand up in front of 300 people and they have to talk for a significant amount of time in order to pass a test to get in there to work on that of what you're talking about and they have really talked about how that just breaks those kids down of those communications and not doing things and kids feel like they're communicating because why the the screen's right there and they're texting and and they feel like they're communicating with that person but there's still no there's no separation for communication of face to face and and body language and how to learn what body language well, is and so well forth. that's just like being a little bit more personal for you of when Peyton talking about her job at the hardware store about having to work during the day of just going I'm not going to be able to help anybody but I don't even know where stuff is how am I even going to talk to them and I go if you'll just be honest and funny try to be a little funny they won't care if you lead them to the wrong spot in that store three different times they're going to go oh she's a sweetheart and she's trying to help but they don't know that they're not used to that and they, they do struggle with that I struggle with that you know that I struggle with that right what it, go ahead it's an important thing to be able to communicate, it just is. I don't care how many computers there are or how many cell phones there are. It, it will never be something that's unimportant to be able to sit down with someone eye to eye and have a conversation. And let's face it, some young people just cannot handle it. Oh, without a doubt. It's text, text, text. Don't call me, text me. And when and when you talk about communication, and, and I think one of the things that, that I think people really might miss on you sometimes with doing what you do is how funny you are and the and the personality that that you have. Who is somebody in your time that this guy's funny? You it that this guy can make anybody laugh. One of my friends or Yeah, anybody. Well, we've always have a mutual friend Richard Holder. Yes. And I have a million Richard Holder stories. I, I, want you I love him to death. He's my brother. But I... I want you to tell a good Richard this is Holder a, story. This is a great one. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. Richard wanted to do something uh, new and different for his mother for her birthday. And he knew that she went to the uh, beauty shop and got her permanent. Happened to be on her birthday. So he went by the beauty shop early in the morning before his mother got there and told the the uh, beautician who was Dortha Talley, who we yep. both knew, uh -huh. she was a great friend, said, Dortha, I'm gonna pay for mom's permanent when she comes by today. Just, I'll come by after school and I'll pay for it. And Dortha said, that will just thrill her to death. Richard, that's a great idea. So she came by about one o'clock and got her permanent and Richard got out about 4.30. He went by the beauty shop to pay for the permanent. So uh, he pulled out a 20 and handed it to Dorothy and was waiting for his change. And Dorothy said, Richard, that's $45 for a permanent. He said, it damn sure better be permanent for $45. <laughs> you, uh, I mean, I, I can't, when I, I don't watch slapstick funny movies. I, I can't, those, the Will Ferrell movies, I mean, the, uh, there was a movie we were talking about the other day. I just, I can't yeah. watch, I call it stupid funny to a certain degree. Like uh, Ben Stiller movies, yeah. uh, you know, Meet the Parents and stuff like that. Like there's certain things that I, my humor can't get me there because 
I've seen some tragic moments happen that when you reflect back on are just so funny, but in the moment, it's a train wreck the whole time. And you know this story better than anybody, and I and you're going to tell the story about inviting a friend over to, and we'll just stay on the Richard Holder story, because this is a good one. We'll stay on Richard here, because he'll enjoy listening back to this memory. When you invited a guest over to his house, and he had his white carpet, and he had a very particular home, uh, you can't find dust anywhere in this guy's house, and he's a... He's an ex-teacher and coach, a very successful coach, and lives in the community of Gordon. But you invited a friend over, so not only was this a, a tragic moment, it's one of the most funny moments because you can't even pretend to make up this story. So if, if the mayor of Radio Ranch says he's going to show up to your house, do not let him bring a guest. Do not give him a plus one. Do not give him a plus one. And, and go ahead. I, I, I really want uh, Richard to, to hear this story. And audience, just sit back because you can't pretend to make this up. Richard had just finished a beautiful new home. Yeah. I mean. Beautiful. Beautiful. Landscaped, planted grass, had dirt hauled in to level it, had beautiful black and white brick had uh, white carpet that was beautiful and he decided to host a poker game and he said uh, Joe we're going to need players I want you to bring a player with you so I invited a gentleman named Max I won't say his last name <laughs> he was an older guy not the neatest uh, knife in the drawer and a little bit out in left field well, the poker games were a little shady at times, too. You know, yeah, some of the characters yeah. running around. I mean, we, we were trying to, we, we were breaking some things in. This was some underground poker going on sometimes. And uh, anyway, so yeah, we dealt with some different people in these times. So uh, they just finished their home and they were just hosting this, his first poker game. And Richard's wife, sweetheart, she's a real stickler for order and cleanliness. And she's a wonderful person. And, uh, it was raining cats and dogs. I mean, Noah floated by. It was absolutely just water everywhere. It had been raining for two days. Well, Richard lives right on the street there, and uh, Max parked his car a little bit too far on the street, and the local deputy stopped in and said, who's ever red car that is, they're gonna have to move it. It's too far out on the street. And Max said, well, that's mine. Oh, maybe, oh, you know, he was oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. not happy about it. So he goes out there. And, in the uh, rain. In the rain. And uh, he throws it into reverse instead of drive and buries his back bumper in Richard's front yard that he had landscaped and grown all the grass in. Right in the middle, buried it. Uh, yeah, it was a slope a little bit from yes, the yard yes. down into uh, there, so a downward slope. Richard and Sherry are out there watching this, and both tires are buried, the bumper's buried. Well, Max proceeds to put it in drive and just starts spinning the wheels and through mud, completely coated the front of their house with mud and further tore up their yard to pieces. Yeah, it was no longer white and black speckered. Yeah. It, 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 it was brown. A lot of brown uh, tint. Yes, <laughs> with, with green, uh, newly green. Newly green sod. <laughs> sod. Yeah, it was an unbelievable oh. mess. It, was, it looked like they'd had a war in the front yard. It was terrible. <laughs> anyway, Richard and I had to give him a push and get him out, and, it, and Richard was furious. Sherry was almost in tears. But the mayhem didn't stop there. We go into the poker table and it's in their game room with beautiful new white carpet. Oh, it's beautiful. And uh, Sherry had made spaghetti for the event. Oh yeah. Well, Max got a big plate of spaghetti. He always overloaded his plate and a big glass of tea and went in and, and set it down on the poker table and dropped his fork. Well, he bent over to get his fork and when he did, his butt caught the corner of the plate, flipped it face down onto the white carpet with the spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. It was... And, oh. and, and to take it one step further, he take takes it, his he handkerchief. He takes out his handkerchief and starts wiping it and yeah. rubbing the greasy... Because <laughs> the only thing worse than spilling spaghetti on the carpet is to then rub it in. Right, yeah, rub it in. Oh, and, so, I, can, oh, and I can assure you that handkerchief has, has been on every part of his body it as well. It was not sanitary. <laughs> it was not... 
in today's age <laughs> of Corona, it would have started, started a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he's doing that. They're having a stroke. Richard is about to have a stroke. Mm. And Richard says, Max, don't wipe it into the carpet. Just get up and let us clean it up. Well, Max tries to pull himself up, and when he does, he grabs his tea glass and turns all the tea over <laughs> on the carpet. <laughs> it is. It looks like it, it, a tornado hit in there, and Richard just had to walk out of the room. He was so mad, and he walked back in. He said, Max, I don't think I can afford to have you over here anymore. <laughs> No, that's he a never good. let me invite anyone no, again. No, no, and 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 he should not. Uh, I mean, he should not after <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> well and that was here. many moons ago. Too. Many moons ago, he still never lets me live that down. But I have to tell you a funny local story. Yeah, that happened in Mingus. You know, I was mayor of Mingus. I did know that for eight years, and I was the youngest mayor in the history of Texas. Oh, wow! For eight years, did I'm not from Almanac that. and all that. Now, just recently. Some kid replaced me by a few months out in West Texas, but I think it was a township and not an actual incorporated city. Oh, so I might still be the youngest mayor ever of an incorporated city. You got city. it for me. But anyway, <laughs> I knew all the local people and there were some real characters in Mingus. There's a guy named Ron. And every morning, week after week, month after month, he would go to the post office, stop at the little Mingus Quick Stop, get 50 cents worth of gas, 50 cents, and go home. This was every day, every week, every month, same thing. Post office, Mingus Quick Stop, 50 cents worth of gas, 50 cents, and back home. What? One day, he gets his mail and stops in at the Mingus Quick Stop and buys a dollar worth of gas. And he walks in to pay for it, and the lady says, going out of town today? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's a classic. That is That's a classic. Good. Um, let, let's, let's talk music here. Let's, and and we'll, we'll wrap some things up with some music because I want you to name some songs that my kids should listen to that that maybe some people are missing the song. You know, I'm a huge Gary Stewart fan. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I, I love him. And uh, maybe some songs. Uh, there's always keys in the mailbox, always comes back to you. Don't know where it came from or how it came from or, or where it was, but it's always been a connection to you. I'll tell you why. And I have it by 32 different people, by the way. Okay. I played in a band for many years. And when you couldn't get people to dance, if you played the keys in the mailbox for some reason, it was like a magnet to pull them out on the dance floor. Yeah. Because it's what I call a bread and butter song. The words are easy to remember. It's got a great beat. And people would dance by, and they would sing that as they danced by. Everybody knows all the keys in the mailbox come on in. And everybody knows that line, and they just it just they feel connected to the song. And so I always liked it because it made people dance. For for older folks or for anybody, I want them to listen to a song. And Ray Price had a great recording of this song. It's called I Wish I Was 18 Again. Okay. And I want folks to listen to that song to get an idea of what it is to grow old. And for older people, it makes them think, boy, he's so right. And for younger people, it's like, I never thought about it like that. It's, it's, it's the greatest song about growing old for young and old. The young people, I think it really makes them just stop for just a second to say, wow, I just never thought that. I like that. Right. That's yeah. a good one. Listen to that. On, it's on the internet. Listen I wish I would be on the playlist home. Well, yeah, I mean. he's doing right now. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, you put that on, and that's Buck, Buck Owens. Yeah. He's in the mailbox. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, jealous me and careless you, the odds were just too great. There you I go. Take yeah, absolutely. Um, as always, Joe. I mean, just being able to come and, and see your home and 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 see where you're at and and reconnect has been something amazing. I've always been a fan. Uh, you know, obviously, if people even want to get more of you off of this, how can people hear? How can people hear even more of you if they love what they heard today and they want to be a part of it? Uh, what what can they do? I'm on every Sunday night, 7 to 10 p.m. on 92.1 Hank FM, Fort Worth, 
Weatherford Mineral Wells, and we have currently taken over KPXN in Wichita Falls. So we broadcast to almost 45 counties, and you can listen online at 921hankfm.com, 921hankfm.com, anywhere in the world. Awesome. And uh, as always, Lad, uh, well, first, it's been awesome just to hang out with y'all today and see y'all interact as former teacher, student, and all that, but then also youngest inductee ever to the Texas Music Hall of Fame, Carthage, Texas. Uh, just been awesome experience today, but as always, it's been real and it's been fun, but it ain't been real fun. See y'all later. <laughs>